0: I read them in the wrong order, so I hope that doesn't mix me up. (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan just launches right into all of his notes about Witch Boy. (laughs) John, I
1: think you're on the wrong book. Well, these are the ones that are on the first page, so I don't know what to tell you. Clearly the world is wrong, and
0: I'm right.
2: I think I told somebody at some point that I was reading The Witch and the Dressmaker.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be their uh, massive crossover event when the two books come together, and it turns out they're in the same universe.
2: That would actually be amazing.
3: <laughs> I don't know. I'd definitely watch that. I know, I <laughs> yeah. To yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think they might actually complement each other well. Yeah. You'd <laughs> have some interesting character dynamics.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, welcome to the Trade Waiters. What's today's episode? Does anyone know?
4: Today we will be reading The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang.
0: Okay. Uh, Just so happens I have a copy right here, so that works out well.
4: It's Mm. a lovely looking book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I downloaded
1: mine to my phone. We can talk about that later.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps I can... Do we start with... Character stuff? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Character building question. Okay. Let's start with a character building question. The character building question today is, have you ever had a garment custom made for you?
0: Ooh. Um, I'm Jonathan. And uh, when I was a kid, my mom made a lot of my clothes. So I guess the answer is yes. Yeah. Um, I recently discovered the joys of getting pants hemmed uh, so I can actually have them the right size. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm 40 <laughs> years old. Again. Um, so I, that maybe that counts, but I, yeah, that's it. If
4: we made it ourselves, does it count? Spirit of the question is having it someone make it for you. But okay. if you don't have an option for that, making it yourself also counts. In that case,
2: I'll go with probably a pretty classic scenario. I had my prom dress altered for
4: myself. Very nice. What color was your prom dress?
2: It was pink. <laughs>
4: nice.
0: <laughs> I still have it.
1: Same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And who are you? I'm Jess. I'm Jeff Ellis, and uh, I've I've had a few garments uh, tailored for me. I, I since you brought up uh, as uh, getting something tailored as a child, I will say <laughs> that my first memory of having something tailored was that my mom. Uh, made a superman costume for me like a complete (laughs) head-to-toe cloth superman costume and i won uh best costume at the uh boy scouts or no it was uh cub scouts cub scouts jamboree uh so my mom did a great job on that costume it had a velcro release on the cape so you know safety first in case you get um, caught in a, <laughs> a revolving door or, or a
0: wind turbine
4: Edna yeah. mode needs to know about it, Velcro it's a, it's I, you know theory. what I mean
1: it, it, considering I was like at a camp full of like uh, you know 8 to 12 year old boys it was really handy for just when people thought it was hilarious to stomp on the back of the cape so you know um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah um, no and then uh, I, when I went to Vietnam in the city of uh, Hue, uh, Hue I did what all tourists are obliged to do, which is to get a suit tailored. Uh, so I had a, a suit, blazer, wool jacket tailored. Um, and uh, it was kind of an interesting experience.
3: Uh, my name's Kay. Um, yeah, my mom sewed growing up, so I had quite a lot of clothes made for me. And my current vice as an adult is I love getting underwear custom made, it's such a treat. <laughs>
4: that's so interesting who do you go to for that like I don't I don't want to
3: tell people where I get my underwear but like just just, you know like small um, boutique uh, like manufacturers of garments usually they're like a single person who is just like I custom make underwear Um, I suppose you send the measurements and everything yeah wow yeah you just like send the measurements and stuff and then they make it for you and like there's a whole spectrum of like you can get real fancy things you can get more utilitarian things it's treat yourselves everyone should do it and like as far as getting things custom made it's on the more affordable side of like getting stuff
4: custom made well i've never heard of that that is a pro tip it rules (laughs) um
1: (laughs) yeah i think i i have no idea that that service existed i'm i'm like fascinated
4: yeah i had like a bunch made recently i was like this is the best (laughs) Uh, And my name is Jem, and my fondest memory of getting something uh, custom-tailored was uh, engineers at the University of British Columbia have a letterman jacket, football-style jacket that is very boxy and masculine. And uh, my gift to myself, if I survived third year, was to get my jacket tailored. So I got a much more feminine cut. I got the ugly elastic taken out, and I just got a, a much more professional-looking version of a bright red jacket with letters on the back. Nice. Uh, So the reason that we are talking about having custom garments made is because that is the core premise of the book that we read today. So if I may, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Jen Wang before we dive into The Prince and the Dressmaker. So this book's a freshie. Uh, It just came out February 2018. It's a newborn book. Hot off the presses. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is Jen Wang's third graphic novel. She also did Coco Be Good. That was her debut in 2010. In 2014, uh, she came out with In Real Life, which was written by uh, notable author Cory Doctorow. And The Prince and the Dressmaker is a return to solo work. I believe she wrote this as well. And uh, it was published by First Second. In Real Life won a Siblis Award. I believe that's how that's pronounced. Sibyls? sybil's award for best graphic novel uh and she also has a webcomic called white snake so i think this is pretty incredible for her third book if you want to say that but uh the book is a set in a alternate history uh i don't know how much real history is in it but i do believe it's supposed to be alternate and it is about the crown prince of belgium who has a secret and decides to enlist the assistance of a seamstress named Frances while he is summering in Paris. And uh, as a reminder to all our readers, we will be spoiling the entirety of the book. Uh, I loved this book, and I highly, highly, highly recommend reading it unspoiled. So if you haven't read it yet, please stop. And it's a pretty quick read. It's about 200 pages. It's worth it. I guarantee it. And uh, come back and hear our commentary. And does everyone agree? Oh, I... absolutely. Mm. Yay. Yeah. Uh, please tell me your first impressions.
0: <laughs> well, actually, maybe before we do that, I had some things to add about uh, Jen Wang. She was one of the earliest webcomicers. I'm trying to remember what the name of her webcomic was. I think it was... No, I can't remember the name of it, because it's disappeared from the internet. I looked for it some years later uh, like on her website, and it wasn't there, I think because she didn't want anyone to see her early work. But it was a uh, comic inspired by the Chinese legend of the, um, the rat who doesn't make it into the Chinese Zodiac, but like not really about the animals, and that's all I can remember about it. But it was one of the first webcomics that I read. Huh. Um, and so I think that probably contributes to the the quality of her work now that she's been making comics for, even since before those uh, the three books that are currently on her list.
4: Yeah, I was going to say, like that's a pretty... Uh, I was struck when I was doing the research, like, and these were the only things that were listed on her website and on the Wikipedia, and that seemed light. I'm like, surely she's in <laughs> an animation or something like this, because the, the quality of the work is very, mm-hmm. very high.
0: And she was a, a flight contributor yes
4: flight one and two
0: okay oh
1: okay because I her name sounded really familiar but in her bio I was I, I hadn't read any of those books and now that makes sense I probably read her name in flight that's probably where I've seen that name before
4: yeah she's definitely been around for a long time mm-hmm. like I, I, I've I, the name recognition is definitely there for me. Uh, I think I, I did hear a lot about Coco Be Good when it originally came out, but I didn't end up reading it.
0: I did read In Real Life, and that was really good. Oh, I have That's a do. book that yeah. I've that one up. often thought about as like, maybe that's for trade waiters, but I guess now I'll have to wait, because we're <laughs> already doing a Gen Wang book. <laughs> uh, anyways, I really like this book. It was a lot of fun. It's the, the cartooning is excellent. There were a lot of sort of character twists that I weren't expecting that we can talk about as we talk about the plot. And... It's like we can talk about the, the history side of it too, but that's obviously a big draw for me. I'm not sure how alternate the alternate history is. I haven't done any research, but it's a time period I don't know a whole lot about. But everything in it seems very authentic and very real. So if there are things that have changed from real history, I don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. So, something I actually liked about this a lot is just that it felt
1: like a classic fairy tale or fable but in the final analysis it pretty much could just have happened and actually could have been a part of history like there are no fantastical elements it just sort of has a bit of a whimsical feel in its presentation but like all the countries are real like all the sort of like occupations and the structure of the society feels very authentic so I, don't know, I enjoyed how it sort of felt fantis- like fantastical but also was still very very grounded I don't know I enjoyed that I actually so I, I was kind of just some sense of the timeline I'm on I like didn't have time to wait for this book to be delivered to me so I just downloaded it through Google Play Books and I pulled it up and read it in one sitting I just couldn't put it down and it was an excellent excellent read I really enjoyed it though looking at everyone's printed copies uh, I'm kind of jealous that you have a much larger page that you're looking at. Cause I did actually experience this entire work on my phone screen. I didn't even transfer over to the iPad. I was just like, "That's how my life was." I was like, <laughs> reading on my phone when I could get in a minute to like read something. Me too. Me
2: too. I'm look- I'm so jealous of these physical copies. They look so beautiful. Um, They've got French flaps. Oh, <laughs> those, those <laughs> flaps! Here, oh, touch the cover. Oh, thank you. Um, I had to
3: go all the way to Metrotown. I had to brave Metrotown to get uh, my copies of the books that we read for this episode. Next episode, because I kept calling bookstores and they're like, we're sold out, sorry. Oh gosh. Which was like Mm -hmm. frustrating, but also like, good. Like, (laughs) I'm glad this is doing well. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But frustrating because
4: Metro Town is a nightmare. Um, (laughs) So it sounds like if you can get your hands on a physical copy, that is definitely the preferred experience. Uh, I will say as a note, I got mine from Kindle and it forces two page view which is my least favorite way Mm. to experience a digital book, because, uh, like, if you want to give me the option, that's fine, but forcing me to read it, horizontal two-page view, similar to the phone, it, like, shrinks the work, and I, the work is so beautiful, and the cartooning is really high level, and uh, I want to be able to see it for all Mm -hmm. I can get out of it.
3: There's, like, so many gorgeous details and, like, line work. Yeah, this was a great book. I'd also read it in one sitting, and I just like burst into tears when I was done because I read it back to back with uh, what we're going to read next episode. And I just got really really overwhelmed by like how lucky kids are today to have these positive (laughs) narratives um, that like like it's like these are big, big publishers in the world of comics saying like this is an agenda we want to push and we want to make like a safe and positive space for kids in the material that we produce. And it just, like, completely overwhelmed me, and I started crying. So, like, it's just so nice. <laughs>
4: I,
1: yeah. I just read a tweet from Svear Monster that was a similar endorsement of this exact work, and it made me realize how, like, hot off the presses this work is, because it's been <laughs> getting a lot of, like, mentions by non, non-trade waiters that I know who have also been saying, this book is great, you should read it. So, yeah, it's, we're really... Now's the time to be reviewing this book. Um,
0: <laughs> as, as someone who spends a lot of time around kids, like the world is a very different place from what it was 10 years ago. So the books that are being published is part of that, but that's not the whole story. Yeah, I think they
4: they feed off each other, perhaps. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
4: Uh, and I, I share that sentiment. I think growing up, there weren't a lot of positive portrayals like this. Uh, and it's it's a work that is just so nuanced and sensitive and yet still like really really engaging and fun to read and it left with just a I cried my eyes out
0: absolutely <laughs> reading
4: this and uh, I felt really good at the end of it it just was so happy <laughs> it had such a happy ending
0: <laughs> yeah and the end the, the ending didn't feel forced either like it's set in a historical context and I think at least I had the kind of expectation going in like, Oh, this, it's going to be hard for these characters to make their lives work, but they made it work and they made it work in a way that felt real. It didn't feel like someone's trying to write in stories and force it into a different context. It felt like this is a thing that really could have happened.
1: Yeah, no, it it definitely, it, it, that's what I, I really liked that. It sort of felt like very plausible, plausible. Is that a good word to say? Yeah, I liked it. Um, I'm just really going to quickly endorse uh, Google Play Books because it did not force me into two-page view and Thank it goodness. had this really wacky not not that this is good for podcasts but actually has like a little page curl
3: mm-hmm. animation
1: so it really tries to make you feel like you're reading a book <laughs> and so this is my first time reading a comic book through Google Play and I, I feel like that actually did a better job than my experience with Kobo mm. so get, step up your game Kobo <laughs> you tell him <'em. laughs>
4: So maybe next we can turn to the plot. Sure. So uh, <laughs> the beginning of this book uh, starts with the Crown Prince Sebastian of Belgium throwing a ball and everyone in Paris being thrown into a frenzy, needing to get these dresses made for the ball. And uh, one of the girls gets her dress made by Francis in a pinch because she has ruined her dress riding. And uh, in conversation with Frances, she's like, Oh, I don't really care. Do whatever. In fact, make it ghastly, I think is what she yes. says. Make me look like the devil's wench. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. And uh, so, sure enough, she shows up to the gown in something, let's say, very avant garde. Yeah, very and goth. Shocks. <laughs> the sensibilities uh, of everyone who is there.
1: I, I'm pretty sure Lady Gaga wore this to one of the awards. <laughs> of these guys, <laughs> maybe early in her career. Yeah, early and
0: Gaga got this. Uh,
4: this frame that uh, we can put up in the. I, I sent you a screen cap okay. of it of the the character like just shoving cake into her mouth. Like it's probably one of my favorite frames in the book and. God, yeah, it's like, just speaking again to this the sense of cartooning, like, the characters mm-hmm. in this are so expressive, and mm-hmm. the line quality is just really clean and nice, and, uh... Mm-hmm. There's this, it's like, fluidity yeah. to it. Like, I
3: fell in love with the way that she, like, renders hair mm. throughout this, and, like, the way that the hair flows, and the gowns, like, billow and drape. It's really really just lovely to look at yeah
4: mm-hmm. there's such mm-hmm. a, a beautiful sense of motion in action and and since the garments are so important to this work i've it's true that these garments seem really well researched uh really well crafted and unique and stand out uh and so it's, it's a lot of fun if you're a fan of fashion to to read this book
1: yeah, I was, I was going to say, I was just really uh, impressed with all the outfits. Like, I think, you know, as a cartoonist, I struggle to make my characters wear clothes that are more interesting than, like, a T-shirt and jeans. And there's, like, some just amazing and fantastic, like, outfits that feel like original creations of the cartoonist. Like, yeah, I think, I think that's... You know, in, in, considering, considering the content of this story... You sort of have to, like, bring really impressive drawings of dresses, and Jen Wang does it, you know? It really, really, like, makes the story work.
2: Yeah, I agree with all of that, Um, with the fabric and the clothing and the way she draws hair. What really stood out for me was the way she draws faces, um, eyes, noses. Like, her, I don't know if you'd call it acting, um, Mm -hmm. is beautiful, And to me, I find that her characters are her strong point, artistically. Mm. Just like, yeah, beautiful designs and unique faces as well. Everyone looks pretty different. Mm -hmm. I liked the queen's design. Oh, yeah. The queen had a really unique face shape. So, yeah, just very appealing, beautiful character designs.
4: And it's funny, because I agree with you that the character faces are so strong. And usually when I see something that is uh, standing out, I'm looking for to make myself feel better i guess areas where the the cartooning is is lacking but even though the backgrounds i would say are limited in their in their use like every time that background is featured it is spot on like Mm -hmm. the perspective is beautiful the the environmental drawings are beautiful the sets look great like all the furniture and stuff and as we already spoke to the fashion so it's Uh, a really impressive work.
3: Yeah I think she hits like just the right note with the background. Yeah. Um, Like having the right amount of detail contrasted with minimalism and figuring out like what aspects she needs to keep in the scene to have it like read well. Like there's um, on page 120 there's uh, like when they're on vacation and there's this like really amazing designer sitting by the pool in the third panel like the entire background drops away except for the chair and the plant next to the chair that this woman's sitting on and like it reads so well yeah yeah
0: yeah no the the mechanics of what's included in a panel and what's left out and the way that panels are framed like everything is framed so well like there's there isn't a, a wasted square centimeter unless it's meant to be wasted I, everything is, is just really good cartoony.
4: Yeah, and I found the pacing quite strong as well, mm-hmm. like the the panel pacing, like it's it's very we've discussed this in previous episodes, kind of the difference between more stateside comics and more manga inspired comics and the manga pacing. It looks like there is some kind of manga pacing where there is a focus on emotional beats, uh, but it's really fluid and hits the notes spot on for me. Okay, Mm -hmm. so moving forward through the plot a little bit, uh, this very avant-garde dress catches the attention of a mysterious person who decides that they need to hire Frances to be their personal seamstress. Uh, And Frances, who has been kind of, you know, she has very bold ambitions as a designer and has been somewhat squirreled away in a uh, small shop takes the offer immediately despite it being very mysterious and unknown uh, and goes to meet this new client who at first does not reveal themselves but tells them a little bit about the types of garments that they want to make and are revealed to at least be an aristocrat until accidentally it is revealed that they are the crown prince himself. <laughs> mm. What did you think about this reveal?
1: I
0: thought it was really good. I think it was done at the right time like you get that little bit of suspense uh well i mean I, maybe it's not really suspenseful because i'm pretty sure i knew who it was yeah,
4: yeah so this is this is probably my only critique of the book okay. is i thought this was a little bit of a wasted reveal okay. like i almost wish it wasn't built up at all uh, because it's it's kind of spoiled by the overall premise i feel like it, it well, i I, no, I yeah, yeah, yeah. going into yeah, this I like even yeah. knowing nothing yeah, it's yeah, in no. the title, yeah. yeah, I didn't
1: I didn't yeah I, I mean not not I mean, I'm gonna say this, but you know, it's just like I kind of saw the twist coming before before it twisted, you know, it's like i I think the prince is gonna be the person who wants the dresses made because the title of the book is <laughs> the Prince and the Dressmaker. Okay. yeah, that's true, so yeah, I mean. Yeah, I agree. I, I I sort of felt like the whole meeting with the, the, the cloth over the head was almost unnecessary, especially considering it just got revealed, like, instantly. It was like, mm-hmm. maybe... I don't know. I mean, I guess in a way it was just to, to establish that the prince was trying to establish some anonymity.
4: Yeah. But yeah. then to,
1: like, break that down right away and be like, no, 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 she's in on the secret. Well,
3: I, I don't know. I guess I felt like the reveal wasn't really for the audience. It was for the character mm-hmm. to like, progress the narrative. Right. Because it would be a very, very different story if, like, she knew it was the prince immediately upon
0: going there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wouldn't be in his character for him to just come out and say it right away. Right, I
3: agree with that. That would, like, mean something different for the tone of the story because this story is about, you know, this is something private that he doesn't
4: feel he can share.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, That's a good point.
4: Yeah, I'm trying to think of how... It might have been changed. Like maybe if the reader saw the prince putting the cloth over their face at first, mm. like that would make it more character centric because mm. the way it was pitched to the reader was that it's like, oh, also the reader doesn't know, but it's different from a webcomic, right? It's different from a webcomic that's advancing page by page and you don't necessarily know what's coming, but when it's advertised with the cover and it's all kind of a complete package that that reveal was kind of just uh, it felt flat for me. I don't know. Hmm. It, it
2: did for me too but I think for me that I was really enjoying the tension of that scene because we because of the title of the book and the cover we basically know it's the prince but there's this tension because you know um Frances is going in and she's sort of faced with this secret and I almost wanted that scene to last maybe a couple days or for a few mm. encounters mm. it's like when is the reveal gonna happen because oh. um, it was very quick I think it was only a couple pages And I really just liked that tension. What would that... Like, there's a special um, word for it when the audience knows, but the characters don't. And the tension from the scene arises from that. Yeah. So I liked that scene, but it did feel a little
1: quick, maybe. I think that was maybe... Like, I think that was my issue is it just sort of... It it set something up and then immediately popped the bubble like right away. And I thought either, you know, show the reader and then that's set up for different reasons or like, like as you say drag it out and like actually make that like uh, maybe there's like two dresses in and she still doesn't know who she's even making these dresses for you know
0: Mm -hmm. uh maybe that could
1: yeah add to that tension um i don't know it it
0: felt like it happened at the right time for me at mm. least where i think i got as much out of that tension as i Mm. would expect to Mm -hmm. right uh
4: despite that like i thought the prince's enthusiasm about dresses and fashion in general was really infectious, right? Mm -hmm. And it was so exciting to see him have an opportunity now to meet someone he could share this passion with and who will enable him to really realize uh, let's say his potential
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I also like that, um, I don't know even this, this whole story kind of went in unexpected directions for me, like you know, uh, I wasn't really expecting the developments between uh, Francis and the Prince, and like, I was actually really pleased with how it all sort of came together at the end, to that really like, satisfying ending. And even like, the character of the um, owner of the basically like, the world's first department store, uh, I felt like he was originally being set up as a lot more of a, a nemesis, and he ultimately like, wasn't really like, you know, like he was a little bit of a flying the ointment at times, but, like, not really, like... It wasn't as big a foil as I originally imagined. So, like... Yeah, no, I just... I like that this book kind of defied a lot of my expectations as I read it.
4: Yeah. No, it's definitely, like... When that initial reveal was a little bit of a letdown, I was kind of expecting not to be surprised by this book anymore, but I was definitely surprised two or three times. And I thought that was really pleasing.
0: Yeah, like, the the characters were all... Complex. It wasn't anyone who in like the, in the whole story who was like a villain. Like even the king, like he's introduced as being sort of a traditional like trope father character who's trying to keep the the young lovers apart and he's standing in their way. But that's his character is more complicated than that. There's a scene where uh, he's had like a heart attack or something and he's laying in his bed and he like takes his son, talks to his son and says like really builds him up and saying, no, you. I trust you to take over this kingdom. Uh, I don't always get that across, but, like, really, you are the right person for this job. And, and I like, I believe in you and I trust you and all that kind of stuff. And that really changes the character. Like, I think it makes him much more complicated and makes the ending of the story make a lot more sense, where he, like, all this sort of comes around and he comes to terms with who his son is.
4: Yeah, I would say mm-hmm. the You're right in that there isn't really a primary villain. Like, the main tension of the book is between Sebastian's identity and Sebastian's responsibility. Mm -hmm. I think that's what comes up more and more is that the reason that he doesn't want to be seen as uh, Lady Crystallia, which is his alter ego when dressed up, is because of how that reflects on his responsibility as the Crown Prince of Belgium.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I I think that, um, like, I really liked how the relationship between Francis and Sebastian becomes strained when Sebastian starts to panic about if Francis comes into notoriety, they're going to realize Francis is the designer of Lady Cristalia's dresses, and because she works so closely with the prince, like, that makes a connection, and then he could be found out, and so he sort of sabotages her career, to sort of protect himself and you know and that creates this tension between the two of them where she has to pack up and leave because she wants to like make it on as a dressmaker and she can't be like living in uh you know kind of in the shadow of lady cristalia and i i think that was like um I, i yeah i wasn't really expecting that to be the direction things went in and i think it was really smart and it made a lot of sense when it played out
4: yeah, that, that twist was really heartbreaking for me. I think that was probably one of the biggest twists of the book.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: When Frances believes that this relationship that she's establishing with Sebastian could be the way that she becomes a great designer, and then it becomes clear that because this is a secret that needs to be kept, she's never going to be able to have her dreams. And the, the way that they part ways, the way that... Oh, I loved that moment when Sebastian tries to go prince... And, like, exert authority over Francis of, like, <laughs> I command you to stay, and she just shuts it down. Yeah, just
0: immediately. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. like, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. I think this story, as much as it has kind of a fairy tale-ish sensibility to it, I think part of what makes it work is because of the time period it's set in, where monarchs don't actually have the level of authority that they would have had in, like, the Middle Ages where Francis can just say no that's not happening and just leaves Uh, and I think it's a real like if this was the story you had in mind to write and you were going to pick any time throughout all of history to pick this story I think this is the perfect setting where you have that kind of that tension of like there's still monarchies and they still have some authority and people care about them but they don't have like they can't actually like ruin people's lives like they had could in the past and there's sort of that The gap between the aristocracy and the other classes is less. I
1: I think it's also at that time period when uh, the aristocracy was moving towards becoming a figurehead. Mm -hmm. And I think that that actually plays more into Sebastian's dilemma because Sebastian doesn't really have to fight in a great war. And he doesn't necessarily have to, like, make lots of complicated decisions for the kingdom. He has to, like, represent this, like perfect figurehead for the country right And yeah, i think that's image. where the, yeah it's all image and so because his um you know because he wants to be lady cristalia that doesn't fit with what the traditional model of what a king would be and that's where like the 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 that's where the tension comes from that's where like he wants to like not let people see that side of him because it doesn't fit with what he imagines like the common villagers of of his country want to see out of a king and that's also kind of what his Father is upset about because he doesn't think that's going to represent what a king should be when his when he passes the crown to his son.
0: Mm-hmm. Like the, the tension, the alternative to him being king isn't that someone, some other relative, will show up and like overthrow the throne. The the alternative is if he doesn't step up and be king, maybe there just isn't a monarchy anymore, and he's the last. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I think that tension comes up a few times in different ways. Um, at the end of the book, the king says where is a place for a king, I think. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of changes happening on the sort of the level of the regular person with the first department store. Like, I feel like in the story, things are modernizing and changing. And like Jeff was saying, um, maybe the monarchy is becoming a bit more of a figurehead at this point. Because it's set in the late 1800s, right?
0: Um, Approximately turn of the last century. Like the Eiffel Tower exists. So yeah. it's going to be like, late 1800s early 1900s definitely before world war one uh so like the gilded age yeah that's Mm -hmm. sometimes called
2: so it's still yeah like we've been saying before it's sort of a fantasy time it's sort of a fable but it's roughly based on our timeline so there's i feel like there was a few moments where we see society changing and there's questions about what is society like right now and what do we need to keep and which direction is it moving in
1: yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, this is. uh I mean, I, I'm curious anyone else's thoughts, but I actually uh, I really appreciated that Sebastian, like though Sebastian wants to wear a dress and be Lady Christia, Sebastian also sort of ends up kind of romantically connected to Francis. So like Sebastian's still attracted to women, but also wants to wear dresses, and I just thought that sort of like I think there's a lot of like stereotypical points of view you can have on a storyline like this, and I like that it sort of again, kind of surprised me in, like, the where it went. Like, it wasn't fitting into, like, it's not, like, fitting into any preconceptions. It's just sort of, here's a person who's very complicated, you know, and I, I like that a lot.
2: Did they end up together?
1: Well, they have a kiss, so I don't know. Yeah. There's an implication that maybe?
2: I thought so, too, because they have a kiss, and then in the end, they meet, and I think she says, I have so many designs to show you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. so they kiss, and then they're talking about, like, design projects, and then that's the end. Yeah. So it's left open. So maybe like, uh, mm, It seems like some kind yeah. of relationship. Yeah, yeah.
2: I felt okay. like yeah, but yeah. it's it wasn't a hundred percent right. I'd I mean, say yeah, fairly heavily implied, but not concrete.
1: Yeah, I guess I guess like I appreciated that it is so gray that it's sort of like you know you it's not any. It's not something you pin down into any one thing. It's like yeah. you're kind of like, okay, we can interpret this a few different ways. I like that, you
2: know, because it doesn't end in a marriage, which was a yeah, huge yeah. theme in the book, right? Uh-huh. Who is he going to marry, et cetera? <laughs> it's, it comes up so many times, and the book actually doesn't end in a marriage, so
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> which I like. I really like that. I, I like yeah. that uh, by not having a marriage at all. It's, I think, it's stating pretty plainly that he can marry who he chooses. That it's not, it's not even vital to the plot that he gets married.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah I think like narratively it's nice to not have
4: that thread wrapped up
0: because mm-hmm. that
3: would
4: just be too many like
0: <laughs> yeah. too
3: many
4: too perfectly. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and it, it's impressive how many threads do get wrapped yes. up though so, like and, like I I very satisfyingly, satisfyingly. Yeah, you know. The the arc of the book was really well handled and it it ended on a very satisfying note but uh I agree with you. Like, not tying everything up with a bow is is nice in a way. It, it, it allows the reader to continue to imagine these characters.
3: Exactly. Um, yeah, I enjoy when a book ends in a way that allows you to still, like, inhabit the world and envision it moving on beyond that and, like, carrying on the narrative in your own head. It's not just, like, over and done with and that's it. It's like, no, there's so much more potential here and it doesn't ever need to be told. But I just like the idea that we can still live within that. <laughs>
0: I also kind of like that as much as, like, as a history nerd, I'm trying to, like, tease out clues for, like, when is this happening, where is this happening, how historically accurate is this, uh, I think it was a wise choice to not be too specific about the the date, because World War I is on its way, and I don't want to have to think about where these characters are in 10, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs>
4: <laughs> this is an au where the yes. world wars didn't happen yeah. maybe
1: it could thanks. be <laughs> thanks history guy <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> maybe if people had
0: some gender stuff worked out ahead like a little earlier we wouldn't have a world war one two
2: so it's a better timeline yeah. it's a more wholesome timeline yeah, yeah. it's the bernstein timeline. this is th- <laughs> it's, it's it's the, the coffee shop au timeline. <laughs> everyone
0: <laughs> ends up in a coffee shop yeah <laughs>
4: Uh, I want to discuss uh, my favorite scene of the book, which happens after the parting of ways between Sebastian and Francis, and then Sebastian decides to settle things once and for all and propose to Princess Juliana of Monaco. But later, uh, Juliana's brother finds Lady Cristalia and discovers that Lady Cristalia is actually Sebastian, and then exposes Sebastian in front of the whole world and the the marriage is actually dissolved Uh, Mm -hmm. and so Sebastian then runs off to a monastery, humiliated and not wanting to cast further shame on his family but Francis meanwhile is creating the line of design for Tripleys, the world's first department store and then finally they are reunited, Sebastian comes apologizes to Francis and all of the designs that she made for Lady Cristalia, they decide, are going to be the ones that are actually going on the runway, rather than the conservative designs that <laughs> Frances had made for the more, uh, let's say, mainstream sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the king and queen come and confront their son, and they decide the best thing to do to ensure that Lady Cristalia is accepted as they are is for... All of the guards and the king to walk in the fashion show. <laughs>
2: <And> Double down. <laughs> hmm? Double down. Double
4: down. And God, I loved the king in that outfit. Oh, oh that makeup, my and goodness,
0: the
2: very <laughs> oh, like, chest. So good. <laughs> yeah. <I also>, Robe <laughs>
3: billowing behind him. Oh, I cried.
0: So like issuing hard. commands to everyone <laughs> yeah. in
3: that
1: outfit. I loved it. No, I loved I mean, it. I also, I just love the first guard that came out of the yellow polka dot dress and he's got his little, little tiny mustache and he's just so like, the
4: mustache?
1: that's a <laughs> man isn't it? What he's is? just totally like, I'm no, into we don't this. Think so. Isn't
4: it? No. No. Okay. I think it's just a guard. Hey,
1: it doesn't even matter. Like, but I'm just saying like he's, he's working it. He's working that <laughs> dress. Yeah. You can tell he's, he's into it. He's like,
4: yeah. I love how much positivity, like, <laughs> radiant positivity was in this scene. It made me so, so happy.
1: Yeah.
4: After what was kind of a heartbreaking scene oh, with the reveal. Yeah. God, yeah. that, like, made, like, the,
3: like, my heart just drop. It made me feel, like, so sick when that happened. And, oh, it was such a nice resolution. Yeah. <laughs> I was really
4: happy to see Yeah.
1: That. Actually, I was, um... I was going to say one other thing that went against expectation. I was really happy the King survived because when mm. he freaks out after Sebastian's outed and has a heart attack, I was immediately like, Oh, okay. So then he's going to die and Sebastian's going to feel really guilty about it. Or like, he'll give him one final like word and then die. And, and it's like, no, no, he, he recovered, he's fine, he's back Now he's gonna walk the runway in his outfit I was like, oh, well, wow. like, everyone made it Everyone yeah, made it to the end true. of the story It's
4: really nice No one is really ruined in this story Like, Francis gets to have her dream. Sebastian gets to have his position and his identity The king gets to see, you know, like uh, His son carry on yeah. as, a, as a monarch
1: even the and even fashion's great even the uh, the owner of uh, Triples like they sell a whole bunch of dresses like even <laughs> even the fashion show that gets subverted. Turns out to be a huge success. So, Tripleys makes a lot of money. Uh-huh. Sebastian gets to be Lady Cristalia. Like, everyone lives happily ever after. Yeah, it's <laughs> true.
4: Not a lot of stories, even the ones that do end quote-unquote happily ever after, end in win-win.
1: Yeah. So, this is really,
4: uh-huh. really nice uh-huh. from that perspective. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Well, I mean, I mean, this is where, again, like, I was originally expecting the the owner of Tripleys to sort of have a turn, like, have a heel turn. Uh, but really, like, the only person who really ends up
0: being the bad guy is, is uh, the brother. And even he, like, we don't see very much of him and his motivation is clearly he's looking out for his sister from his point of view. Yeah. Uh, so he gets his way. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, Sebastian doesn't marry his sister, so. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he wouldn't have been happy marrying her anyways, so uh, and clearly she wouldn't have been happy married to him. Cause yeah. She cause of her reaction to
4: although like she, she was a fan of Lady Cristalia.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like maybe... she she might have like changed her mind at some point. It's open ended. Uh, it she might come yeah. around. <laughs> I I really not. like the this the sequence where he sort of like um resolved to fulfill his responsibility at the consequence of his own like personality and he's just so downtrodden all the way through and you can just tell he's heartbroken but he's decided he's going to do this and makes you think about how many monarchs throughout history have been exactly that Mm. because they're the they're the monarch they're the heir to the throne they have to produce offspring because that's their only job
2: yeah yeah there was a lot of um talk at the start of the story about how the king was married to the queen when he was three, or when he was twelve or something, and then his sister or his wife's sister I think she was had an arranged marriage when she mm-hmm. was really young. So many arranged marriages and like duties to f- fulfill. Um, can I talk about a really small easter egg that might be in there? Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
2: So when they're talking in this scene early on when they're talking about arranged marriages and how the whole royal family had these um, sort of debatably happy arranged marriages the king says oh your aunt was married to your uncle when she was three and she's smoking a cigar and she just goes rest in peace like <laughs> <laughs> and so i was wondering if there was a really low-key implication that she might have assassinated him
0: <laughs> i did think about that when i read that I oh, like, so it mm.
2: wasn't just me you you felt it a little bit yep
0: yep it's definitely a possibility <laughs> Either that or she was just happy to outlive him.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to have final thoughts on this book?
0: Do we want to talk more about the art?
1: Well actually I was well that was gonna be part of my final thought. Um I uh I've recently in my own cartooning been kind of like uh debating the merits of, of my decision to switch to all digital process. And uh, looking at the process notes in the back of this book, uh, Jen Wang talks about her Winsor Newton Series Seven inking brush, which is what I used to use when I worked traditionally. And um, it, and just looking at like the beauty of the hand letters in the balloons and the balloons, like the line work around the balloons and the frames, it just really kind of made me consider maybe doing a a, a, a work entirely analog.
3: You should. Um, I don't think this is hand lettered though. Yeah, I think this it's is a font. definitely a typeface, yeah. Really? Yeah
0: it's a good font. It's really
3: good and it fits like really well with the art, but it's not hand lettered. Okay. I other the balloons,
1: than that, you're
2: right. Yeah. It could be a font of her handwriting. Mm. Could be. Yeah, they do that a lot. Yeah. Um
1: I guess it was just because
0: the letters change size so much. I just assumed the bigger ones might be hand done. Like the bigger letters, I'm not sure. Okay, well anyways
1: Lettering aside, I just think everything else looked really beautiful and it made me think I would like to maybe try doing an analog piece again, Uh, just looking at the line work and and all that. It was very inspirational. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just a very beautiful, beautiful coloring, beautiful inking, like just overall great little book. Highly recommend it. And uh, I don't know, something nice. I think you could like, honestly, how, what age would you start reading this to like I don't know um, like I feel like you could almost just like 10? pull this out as like a bedtime story or something yeah sure yeah yeah I don't think there's
4: anything inappropriate in it yeah, yeah. like it's like I'm trying to think of, like, I, I was more like thinking if it would be like
1: too complicated but no I mean yeah no. I don't know like 10 yeah 10 years old or something yeah.
0: like yeah just get it for your kid read it to your kid 10 years yeah. old you might not get all the sort of the nuance because there's a lot of really detailed nuance in this but yeah. I think you'd get a lot out of the story yeah. still.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. I would say yeah. Like this is uh would recommend. Yeah. Yeah, this is just
3: like <laughs> such a solid comic. Um, it makes me excited about comics. And yeah, it just it rules. I I love, I love, 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 love that we're moving into a great space of narratives in comics and especially comics aimed to younger at, younger, at a younger audience that are really actively trying to promote spaces where that, like, foster, I guess, like, alternative ways of being. Like, it's nice to have a story that is, features, you know, someone in a traditionally masculine role who doesn't have to be all the ideas of masculinity that are imposed upon that role.
4: And doesn't um, have to sacrifice anything about Yeah, that role in the mm-hmm. end. Yeah, which I found that was really satisfying. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, this was just really well written, really well drawn. Um, I think if a book, if this book had come out in comics, say, 20 years ago, it would be on everyone's top 10 list of, like, this is the comics canon that everyone must read. Because I think it's that level of quality. And maybe we'll still end up on... List like that, but the it just the, came out, with Jonathan. I know, but like the, <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is like the, the quality of comics just keeps going up and up. And this is another example of like wow, what an amazing comic! And like there's gonna be more because i not, I don't think Jen Wang is stopping and neither is anyone else. So yeah, comics are doing great. Yeah. Hey.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah, I liked it. Um, and I agree with what was said by everyone else. Um, I don't know if it spoke to me on the same. Um, level of intensity as, as some other people who read it but I, re- I enjoyed it yeah and the art is really beautiful especially um, I find the characters and the faces was really really stunning mm-hmm. it was good I would recommend it yeah and the age is well middle school um, and up really anyone can enjoy it yeah, yeah.
4: and I, I'll echo that like I originally recommended this book it was recommended to me by Spay and uh It's one of those rare comics where I feel like I could recommend it to almost anyone, even people who don't read comics. Mm -hmm. Like, it's one of those books that's really solid and just is so well executed that it's really easy to follow. It doesn't require a high level of comic literacy, I don't think, in order to really profoundly enjoy this book and for it to have a really long-lasting impact. I'll be thinking
0: about Mm -hmm. this book for a long time. Yeah. So... Go,
4: read it. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. What are you waiting for? Uh-huh. Read it. <laughs> Buy five um, for all I your friends. S- I
0: saw on Twitter recently that it has been optioned for a movie. Yeah. Ooh. I really hope they don't ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Don't worry, they will. Uh, don't
1: mess Hollywood up. is bad.
0: <laughs> Comics are good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: Comics are perfect. It's already <laughs> achieved. It's <laughs> pinnacle for <fourth>. it. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm Jonathan. You can find my work at phobos-comic.com. Uh, and I am going to shout out the new Nancy comic strip, oh, yeah. which if you've been, uh, the, the internet is a buzz about Nancy because it's recently switched to a new cartoonist. Like it's all self-evidently a new cartoonist and it's signed by uh, Olivia James. Although uh, I'm not sure what they're basing this on, but Twitter has seems to think that this is a pseudonym for someone. I don't know uh, whether it is or not. It's like, so much better than it was before. I would never have read a Nancy strip before like a month ago and now I'm checking back like a couple times a week to get caught up. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. Nancy, who knew? My name is
2: Jess and um, you can read my webcomic Liquid Shell at liquidshell.tumblr.com and I'm going to recommend a book called Set to Sea by Drew Wying and it's just this, yeah, it's this tiny beautiful comic that is an interesting format it has one panel per page and it's this really surprising story about this really rough big guy in 1800s who wants to be a poet and um he gets kidnapped and uh becomes a pirate <laughs> and goes on this whole adventure and it's just this like yeah beautiful short comic that i recommend people check out
4: uh my name is jam uh, i have a new short story Called It's Okay to Sploot, and you can find it at angelamellick.tumblr.com. And my shout out is for another freshie, another book that just came out. It's called Super Late Bloomer by Julia Kay, and it's autobiocomics about a woman who is transitioning into being a woman. And uh, she will be at van calf.
2: Yeah,
1: I was And We want everyone to, to, meet to
4: meet her. So uh, please, if you're a Vancouver local and you're going to van calf, support Super Late Bloomer.
1: So I'm. Uh, jeff ellis you can find my work at jeffrey uh, right now i've been posting uh pages from a travel comic about my trip along the uh, east coast in september uh, i'll be selling that as a mini comic at vancalf and i've also started putting up new pages of my comic crossroads and I'm trying to think what to shout out i don't remember if i ever talked about this before but um They did like a weird Flintstones reboot comic, (laughs) and I just saw that it got nominated for an Eisner Award. So maybe if you didn't pay attention to it before, maybe go back and give it a look. Because I think it sounds like they really took it to some really interesting places even after the first issue. So that's that's what I'm going to shout out.
3: All right, all right. Uh, I'm Kay Gross, and you can find a variety of my comics at kegcomics.com. Yeah, I don't know. I post web comics, whatever. Go. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm going to shout out... I read a real book recently. I read a book book. Ugh. <laughs> One that was all words. Um should be really proud of me because that hasn't happened in a while. I read, uh, The Tomboy's Survival Guide by Ivan Coyote, and it was very good. Um, yeah, you should read it. It's a nice collection of short stories, like short auto story things set in both Vancouver and the Yukon.
0: Okay, what's our next book gonna be? I
4: don't know. I do know. I'm lying. <laughs> um, it's The Witch Boy by Molly Knox Ostertag. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. Thanks to the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in the Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at tradewaiters.tumblr.com, as well as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>